chapter 11. We're going to cover verses 1 through 7. Now, uh, if you were here with us last, last Sunday morning, uh, you, you probably noticed that the, uh, the sermon ended in, in uh, a little bit of a different way, well, a lot different way than they typically end. Uh, and I just sensed from the Spirit that it was time to end. Uh, two-thirds of the sermon was not finished yet, uh, but sometimes you got to go with what the Lord has planned. Actually, every time you should go with what the Lord has planned. Amen? All right? Uh, many a preacher, myself included, have gone past the time that the Lord had left the building. Uh, and pretty much everyone knows it, okay? Uh, so it's, it's not a fun thing to be up here without the Lord. And it's not a fun thing for you to be sitting there listening to a guy that doesn't have the Lord up here with him. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not. It's not fun for you. But anyways, um, the sermon ended uh, abruptly because that's where the, I felt the Lord wanted us to end it. Last week, and we didn't make it through all of our passage, so you might be coming to church thinking, well, this Sunday morning we're going to finish out Hebrews chapter 10. Well, we did that last Sunday night, okay? Uh, we covered that, so if you want to hear the end of last morning's sermon, you can uh, watch uh, last week's evening service online and uh, get what was in there. But this morning we're starting in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I do want to bring attention to uh, the last few verses of chapter 10 because the author of Hebrews is going to do something that he typically does. He's going to mention two themes. Uh, sometimes he's mentioned more than two themes, but typically he'll mention two themes, and then he takes up those themes uh, in inverted order, okay? And he's going to do the exact same thing for us uh, this morning and really for the next number of weeks as we travel through Hebrews 11 and 12. Pick it up in verse 36 of chapter 10, though. He says this, for you need endurance. That's the first key word. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith. And that's the second key word is faith. Those who have faith and are saved. So he's introducing uh, in this uh, one of the last sections of Hebrews two key themes, endurance and faith. Those are the themes that he's going to cover in chapter all of chapter 11 and in through verse 13 of chapter 12. But he's not going to deal with endurance and then faith. He's going to invert those and deal with faith first and then endurance. All right? If you're familiar with Hebrews, you know that's the pattern. You're going to have this great chapter on faith in, in chapter 11, and then starting in chapter 12, you're going to have this beautiful passage on endurance and how Jesus endured on our behalf, and if we are going to be able to endure, we must keep our eyes on him. So faith and endurance are, is going to be the topic, faith for the next number of weeks, and then endurance once we get uh, to chapter 12. Um, I said uh, verses 1 through 7. Uh, of chapter 11, so I'd ask that you would stand uh, out of uh, reverence for the reading of God's word, and we'll read verses 1 through 7 of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. 
By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and was motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, so we're taking up faith now. And if you have any history in church whatsoever, you know these verses, right? Especially verse 1. We have historically treated Hebrews 11.1 1 as a definition, a formal definition for what faith is. And so if you ever have had an unbelieving friend, you know, say, what is faith? Or perhaps someone younger in the faith that doesn't understand faith, they say, what is faith? If you know your Bible, then you've taken them to uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 and, and said, this is what faith is, right? Now, my translation says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Right? The way I memorize that is faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Right? We probably memorize that in, in different translations. It's certainly one that, that many have memorized. Um, but I want to uh, contend with you this morning that Hebrews 11.1 1 is not uh, a formal definition of what faith is. Okay, It is, uh, it is more... Um, not to get super technical, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a non, it's kind of a slang way to, to speak in 21st century terms. It's a slang way to portray um, a general truth, all right? So let me give you an example of what I mean. Have you ever heard someone say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Ever heard that? Now, if it ain't broke, don't fix it works nine out of ten times, correct? But for... Sometimes there's like that one time that it just doesn't work, right? That's an example of uh, just a way to talk about something in a general way. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. What the author of Hebrews, I believe, is doing in Hebrews 11.1 1 is he's not necessarily given us a formal definition of faith. Now, let me put an asterisk here. If you've always believed that it's a formal definition of faith, and if you leave today unconvinced by what I'm saying, that's totally fine. It's not like you're sinning in that, Okay. You can, you can believe that all you want, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we get a little deeper into what the author is trying to do if we understand it not in a formal definition of what faith is type of way. And what he is doing here, he's talking about what faith represents or what faith celebrates. What are the types of things that faith is about? What are the types of things that faith celebrates? What is faith like? All right, is perhaps a good way to put it. What is faith like? And he says faith is like the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. It's the, the assurance of things that you hope for. It's the conviction of things that you cannot see. Now, very early on, we're going to talk about faith uh, in all sorts of ways. Faith in the beginning, faith in the small, faith in the big, and faith in, in everything. All right, faith in all circumstances. But before we do that, we need to talk about uh, what faith is like. Now, when we look at our passage here, we're going to see kind of a formula and some things that you need, all right, 
Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, or as we've said, the assurance of things hoped for. So faith is being assured of something that you hope is true. Is everyone with me? It is being so sure of something that you hope is true that you know it will happen. Now you say, well, try explaining that. It's very difficult to do. Faith, in a very real sense, um, and it might sound odd for a preacher to stand up here and say this, but faith in a real sense is only defined by you either have it or you don't. You either have faith or you don't. But I want to talk about one ingredient of faith that is often overlooked. You notice it says it's the reality or the assurance of things hoped for. The first step if you're going to have faith is that you actually hope that the things that the Bible talks about are true. You actually want them to be true. If faith is the assurance of things hoped for, then you've got to actually hope for something to have assurance of it. Are you with me? And so my question to you this morning as we start out is, do you hope that the message you find in the Bible is true? Do you hope that there is a God who knows all and sees all and loves all and that he has a plan and that he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for sins that we could not pay, to make a way for us to have a relationship with God the Father again and so that we might enjoy eternity with him in heaven one day. Do you hope that those things are true? That's the first step. Because many people don't really care. Many people that come to church every week don't even care. They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I want heaven to be true and I believe it's true and all that type of stuff. But when the rubber meets the road, you start looking at how they actually lived, they put all their hope in this world, not the next. They've put all their hope in material things. They've put all their hope in money here. They have not put a lot of thought into the next life. It's like many young couples today, Caitlin and I, we made the same mistake. We put all of our effort thinking into the wedding day, and we put little effort thinking into the next 60 years of marriage. Amen? Man, if we had planned for marriage as much as we planned for that wedding, we'd be doing really well. Now we're doing well, okay. But many of us dads are like, hey, Daughter, son-in-law, I will, I, you know, I'll either pay for the wedding or I'll set you up with a nice down payment. What do you want? All right? It's striking how many young couples will say, pay for the wedding. Pay for the wedding. Now, I'm not throwing stones. We, would have, we said pay for the wedding as well. But that's what we do in life as well. We, put all, we think about life here on earth and we refuse to think about what comes after. And so I don't, I, and forgive me for not believing many people, but when they say, oh, yeah, 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 I love the Lord and I focus on Him, I say, okay, well, show me. Show me. What do your actions reveal? So the first step in having faith is actually hoping that these things are true. Do you hope that what the Bible communicates is true? Now the sticking point for many people who don't even claim to love Christ is that you've, if you want to hope that, the th- that, that all the good stuff is true, then you've got to understand that all the negative stuff is true as well. All the stuff that it says about you in here. And let me just break perhaps burst your bubble this morning, the Bible does not have a very high view of humanity. It just doesn't. You know who got us in this mess that we're in? Humanity. You know why marriage is so difficult? Because it involves humans. You know why parenting is difficult? But because it involves even more humans. Do you know why church life can sometimes have so much strife? You guessed it. Humans. Us. The Bible does not paint a very high view of humanity. 
Now, sure, God loves us, and we are His crown um, creation, but we have many flaws, and we've gotten ourselves into many troubles, and it was ultimately us who made it necessary for Jesus to have to come and die on the cross. So that's the hang-up for many people. They want all the good stuff to be true, but none of the bad stuff. You've got to have uh, the bad first if you're going to have the good later. So it's the assurance of things hoped for, but it's the proof, right, or the conviction of things not seen. Now, we need to do a little bit of work here because he's not talking about the supernatural realm that you cannot see right now, okay? There are angels among us right now. They're here. They're everywhere, okay? Heaven is a spiritual reality right now. It's going to become... Um, an actual physical reality as well one day. And you say, well, how does heaven only exist in a spiritual realm? It's too hard to explain right now, okay? Uh, but, and, and maybe we'll, we'll preach a series on heaven one day, which would be really fun to do, and, and we'll do that one day. But um, we're not talking about things that you cannot see with your eyes because they're invisible right now because they're in the spiritual realm. What he's talking about, the proof of things unseen or the conviction of things unseen, are things that have not happened yet that are still out in the future. Think second coming of Jesus Christ. Are you convinced that Jesus Christ is coming back one day to get his people? That's what we're talking about. That's faith. Talking about future events. We're going to see this, and the way we know that's what he's talking about is because this idea of things unseen, he's going to use that same phrase when he talks about Noah in chapter 7. And he's referring to the flood that has not happened yet, all right? Even though Noah has not seen that, even though Noah never even sees uh, massive amounts of rain in his region, he's convinced that it's coming, and so he builds an ark. That's what we're talking about. We're convinced of things that we have not seen. That's faith. You either have faith or you do not have faith. We don't need to overcomplicate things. You either have faith or you don't have faith. Faith is a gift from God that allows the Christian to live in a way that others can't. Have you ever asked yourself, I don't know how people without faith get through fill in the blank? That's exactly what we're talking about. Faith allows us as Christians to live in ways that other people simply are not capable of. And I'll probably say it a number of times throughout our time this morning. But before you get all, you know, proud of the fact that you have faith, the Bible says that faith is a gift from God. You did not earn it. You cannot keep it by doing good things. It's just a gift from God. Man, that should make us thankful. You see, because other people don't have faith. You say, oh, well, it's, it's because, you know, they have not accepted that. Well, God has not given them faith. But faith is a gift from God that allows the Christian to live in a way that others can't. Now you say, now this, this sounds highly unscientific. And we're a scientific people, right, in the 21st century. We believe in science. And you hear science a lot, don't you? You hear science a lot. People believe in science. People believe in science until the science doesn't favor their argument. And now all of a sudden they don't believe in science. All right? But this all sounds highly unscientific because it is. Because it is. It's spiritual. You say, how can we... How can we um, stand by this type of thing. Well, let me encourage you that you've been doing this for a long time. Look at verse 3, what I mean. He says, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So this is faith in the beginning. 
All right? And we've had faith that God un- uh, created the world. Now, if you're, think- if you're a thinking individual, this mount- might sound kind of backwards to you. Because I thought we gather all the facts and we understand in order to believe. But that's not the message of the Bible. Did you notice those four words at the beginning of verse 3? By faith we understand. Wait a second now. Are what you saying, is what you're saying, author of Hebrews, that you can't understand that God created the world out of nothing unless you first have faith? If he were standing here today, he would say, absolutely, that's what I'm saying. By faith we understand. Ever since the Enlightenment, three, four hundred years ago, Mankind, especially Western mankind, has said, no, 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 no. The Bible and spirituality, Christianity, has it all backwards. We understand in order that we might have faith. Isn't that what we see nowadays? Show me the proof. Show me the evidence. Once you show me all the evidence, I will believe. Now, evidence helps. Evidence helps. But the Bible just said, by faith, we understand that the Word of God or that the world was created by the Word of God. You say, well, why does this matter? Well, it matters in a very, very big way. It changes really everything. It changes how we relate to people. It changes how we pray. Because um, if what they need to understand that God created the world is faith, then surely we should be praying that God would give them faith. Are you with me? This is why I'm not, I'm not completely down on apologetics. I like apologetics, and I think it's fascinating, right? brilliant people making incredible arguments for the existence of God. But what we have to understand is that no one will ever prove that God exists. Did you hear me? I mean what I say, and I'm not a heretic. No one will ever prove that God exists, most likely. But they're also not going to disprove that He exists. You're not going to prove or disprove it in natural ways. It is a supernatural reality. And furthermore, what I want to encourage you with this morning is that you don't have to prove that He exists. It says, by faith we understand. It is by faith. And so you go to the Grand Canyon, and the Christian, because he has faith, says, man, God's amazing. You take an atheist to the Grand Canyon, because he doesn't have faith, he says, man, nature's amazing. Look at how the water just broke those rocks down over time. Are you with me? You can give that guy or that gal all the evidence you want, but until they have faith, they will not say, man, alive, God is incredible. And now, hopefully, the wheels are starting to turn. Oh, gosh, maybe I should be praying in different ways. Sure, we can, we can show people arguments. We can give them evidence. We can say, listen, you can trust the Bible. It's never been disproven. It's never in thousands of years been disproven. But ultimately, we have to understand, as Paul understood in 1 Corinthians 2, that Spiritual things are not naturally discerned. Only the spiritual can discern the spiritual. And so by faith we understand. This we here in verse 3 is the last time he's going to use a personal pronoun, right? The first person plural until the very end of chapter 11. The rest of chapter 11 he is going to be talking about our ancestors who gained the approval of God from verse 2, he's going to give us example after example after example of how they, by faith, conquered certain situations in life. Now, why on earth would he start, before he gets into that list, he would start with a first-person plural pronoun, we, and then end with first-person plural, us. But then all in the middle have these incredible examples 
because we're tempted sometimes to idolize the people in the Bible, aren't we? We're like, man, I, I, just, I just can't do it like Noah could. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, all these people that he's going to list out, Isaac, Jacob. I, I just couldn't do it. But he just told you right in verse 3 that you're already doing it. You don't believe that God created the world because you've seen enough evidence to convince you. That's not how it works. You believe that God created the world because you have faith. By faith, we understand. You're right there with them. You have the faith that these men and women have because you have the Savior that these men and women have. But then we get into their examples, and no, no doubt we can be encouraged by them. So first we see faith in small matters. You look at Abel in verse 4. Faith in small things. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. All right, so we say small because what... Abel is doing is he's offering a, a sacrifice to God. It's the same exact things that we do. We just took up offering earlier. It's a little bit different, but we took up tithes and offerings. We give to the Lord. And I say small in that it's a, it's a routine type of thing. It's a regular thing. We should regularly do that, and we should do it by faith. Now, the question arises, why did God look favorably upon the offering of Abel and not on that of Cain? Well, it's, we don't have all the time in the world to explain it because there's different ways that people view it. Well, because, you know, Abel uh, gave of the first fruits or he gave a certain type of sacrifice and Cain gave a different type of sacrifice. But I believe the context here in Hebrews 11 tells us exactly why. Verse 4 through 6 are going to be connected. In other words, the story of Abel and Enoch, we'll get to Enoch in a minute, but they're connected through this discussion of death, Okay. It says that Abel, even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. And then verse 5, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. So he's linking these two guys together with this idea of death. And then in verse 6, he says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draw nears, draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So because the author of Hebrews is treating Abel and Enoch together with this idea of death we can understand that verse 6 is tied to verse 4. And we gain great clarity on why God approved of the sacrifice of Abel and not that of Cain because Abel's was given through faith. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him, okay, think Abel, must believe that he exists, that's what Abel did, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what Abel did. Now, we cannot peer into the heart of Cain and figure out why he was giving a sacrifice to God, but we can know from Hebrews 11 why Abel did, because he had faith. It was by faith that he did it. And his brother killed him because of it. But the author doesn't seem to want to focus on uh, his death. Notice he's, it's not as in other parts of the Bible where it says the blood of Abel is crying out. No, it's he still speaks through his faith. And it's not the blood of Abel crying out to God in this context. It is the faith of Abel crying out to us. His faith, even though he is dead, still speaks to us today. And so the encouragement is, even in small things, do them in faith. 
You say, what are, what are those small things? What does it look like, Jordan? Well, every single day we face temptations to sin. Do you want to know how you overcome sin in your life? Faith? That's how. It's trusting that God has a better way. You see, in your flesh, you want to get angry at a situation, but through faith, you trust that God is in control. And one step at a time, you start to overcome your anger as a result of things not going your way. Faith in small matters is the answer. But then faith in the big as well. And so you've got routine things like tithes and offerings and daily trying to overcome sin and, 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 and follow the Lord through small areas of life. But then also you have big areas, faith in the big areas. Let's jump to verse 7. We'll come back to Enoch in a minute. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So with Abel, you have faith in small matters, but with Noah, you have faith in big matters. Now, some people, most people are not going to look at you like you've got three heads uh, if you regularly give uh, your tithes and offerings to the church, for example. They're not going to think that's crazy. They, they might think you're foolish, okay? They might, they might not agree with your use of money, but most people are not going to look like at you like you have three heads. But you start building a massive, massive, massive boat in the middle of a desert where it never rains, and they're going to start looking at you like you have three heads. Am I right? And yet, there are times in life where God calls us to do something so crazy to other people that they are going to call you crazy. They're going to call you a lunatic. There's no way in the world that no one looked at Noah back then and said, dude, you're a complete fool for doing this. I grew up in a type of area like Noah did, out in, out in the oil fields of West Texas, right? It's the armpit of the world. It's actually a few miles west of the armpit. But anyways, it's, it's like the end of the world. And if I had started building a boat this big, people would have, I mean, they just, they said, it's time to call the hospital on Jordan. He's lost his mind. Why? Because he's telling everybody that God told him to build a big boat. Because it was going to rain so much out here in West Texas that everybody's going to drown. Now, can you believe that? Going to rain so much out here in West Texas that we're all going to float away. Commit him. Commit him. And yet that's what God asked Noah to do. And Noah did it. Now, I will never stand here, hopefully never, Stand here and tell you, um, you know, that day in and day out, you're going to be faced with, with Noah-sized faith decisions, okay? That's just not normal life. And I think that's where we've gone wrong in much of Christianity. We think that every day is supposed to be like this massive just battle, and it's like, wow, this is insane. i got to make these huge, big faith, faith decisions. But that's not reality, is it? Most of the Christian life is just the mundane. You're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to eat some hot dog, you're going to eat way too much food, okay? And, and you're, So maybe Tuesday's a better example. You're going to wake up Tuesday, uh, it's not a holiday, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to interact with the same people you've interacted with for years, your family, you're going to make the same types of decisions that you do during your week. That's, that's the ordinary rhythm of life, and it takes faith in those small routine matters. Um, but it's faith in those small routine matters that you're going to have to exercise that, that muscle of faith for when that big Noah moment does come. 
and it's going to come. And has it not come for some of you already? Where it's like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm always out of, um, out of uh, you know, my element, and I'm kind of out ahead of my skis here, and I need your help. I'm all, I always need your help, but this is like extra, I need your help. And those times will come when he's going to ask you to do things that the rest of the world, perhaps even some of your own family, think that you're just dumb for doing. They're just going to call you dumb. And they're going to talk about you behind your back. Because you dare to hear from the Lord and then obey what you've heard. Did you notice that? That Noah, after he was warned, well, who warned him? God did. He heard from the Lord and he obeyed. That's faith. Don't overcomplicate it. That's faith. You hear from the Lord and you obey him. Everything else is sin. That's Romans 14. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Faith, in a very real sense, is hearing from the Lord and doing what you've heard. That's all Noah did. Now, it wasn't just another day at the office for Noah. He heard something pretty big. But it came to happen. And he was, going back to verse 1, assured that it would happen. Assured that it would happen. He was convinced of things that he had not yet seen. He had not yet ever seen a flood so big that it flooded and drowned the entire world sans eight people. He had never seen anything like that. But he was convinced it happened. How do we know that he was convinced it happened? Because he built a boat. He built a boat. So don't come at me, tell me you have faith, and then we look at your life and say, don't see anything. I don't see anything. That's why easy believism has been a scourge on American Christianity for over 100 years. You say, what is easy believism? It's trying, uh, from, from men up here and churches in general, trying to make it as easy as possible for people to come and accept Jesus. And they say, yeah, I made a decision once and I walked an aisle or whatever it may be. And then, you know, so many of those people now are out in the world and, and they have nothing to do with God. They think that they know God, but they don't know God. And most importantly, God does not know them. It's terrifying. So I know some of you probably don't like all the ways that I do things up here, but I have my biblical theological reasons for doing it. I don't want to make it seem like, hey, it's just super easy. You just walk an aisle. Come on. It's really easy. We'll get you plugged into a Sunday school class and you all eat food together. Now, those are all things, those, those things are true and those are great. But what people are signing up for is to become Public enemy number one to Satan. That's why Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist preacher we've ever known in the 19th century, said, beware right, of counting your chicks before they hatch. Beware of counting your chicks before they hatch. So faith, the point I'm trying to make is faith is borne out by decisions. Noah had faith. We know he had faith because he built this massive ark. For a flood that he had never seen. But it came. And that's the type of faith that we need. Now Enoch 5 and 6. We've got to hurry on. We've covered faith in the beginning, right? We see that by faith we understand that God made the universe. Faith in the small things with Abel. Faith in big things like Noah. And then faith in all things. Faith in any circumstance with Enoch. It's a fascinating guy. By faith Enoch was taken away. Your, your translation might say by faith Enoch was translated. 
And so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All right? Now, I told you that Abel and Enoch, at least for the author's purposes, are connected here. He mentions death with both of them, which is his way of connecting those two guys. And so on the one hand, and this is how I want us to finish our time this morning. On the one hand, you have a guy who is faithful to God, Abel. And his faith got him murdered by his brother. You want to talk about a terrible way to go. You want to talk about strife and division and hurt and heartache taken by one of his own family members. He had faith and that was his end. Enoch, on the other hand, had faith and never experienced death. He didn't have to die. It's not, he's drawing this contrast. It's not that he was murdered in just kind of this normal way, right? You know, just kind of natural causes, he died or whatever. It's not that this guy died in a terrible way and, and Enoch died in not so bad of a way. Enoch didn't even die. He was just taken up. Can you imagine how cool that would be? Imagine something like that going on nowadays, right? Just being on a missing person list forever. But I want you to note this point. You'll have preacher after preacher after preacher. You'll have book after book after book. You'll have conference and seminar after conference and seminar. Televangelists, all these guys. You have people who have bought it. The lie that if you'll just have faith, things will get better for you. You with me? And that things are going poorly for you right now because you don't have enough faith. Ever heard any of that trash before? It's a lie from the pit of hell. And we can back it up from Hebrews 11. Because one guy has faith and he gets killed by his brother. Another guy has faith and he never experiences death, period. God has not called you to have faith so that you can get something out of it. You get God. You get Perhaps the biggest thing in this passage, God's approval. Did you notice it in verse 2? For by it our ancestors won God's approval. Faith gets us the approval of God. It gets us a relationship with God. It gets us closeness and nearness to God. And so if you're going through something difficult right now, I don't want you to hear me say that if you'll just have more faith, things will go better for you. You might have more faith and end up like Abel. but you will be with God forever. You might continue to have faith and wind up like Enoch. And that would be awesome. I wish we could all end up like Enoch. Wouldn't that be cool? But that's not how God wrote things. There has to be an Abel. There has to be an Enoch. You're going to start Hebrews 11 with a great list of people who did amazing things. You're going to end it with people who were beaten to death and sawn in two. You can read ahead if you want. And they were all counted as faithful. So I would encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, to have faith, not because it gets you something else, but because it gets you God. It gets you God. And He's worth it. Are we teaching our kids that He's worth it?
Are we teaching our grandkids that he's worth it? Are we teaching our neighbors that he's worth it? Men, are you teaching your families that he's worth it? Is he worth it? Let's pray. Lord, we do believe that you are worth all that we have. You're worth us being here today. You're worth us singing, even if we think we don't have good voices. You're worth us getting up early and getting the kids ready. You're worth us um, getting together with people that we might not hang out with otherwise, but we have Jesus in common. You're worth that. You're worth us giving our tithes and our offerings to. You're worth us sticking around when things are difficult. You're worth it, Lord. And, and so we just praise you for being worthy. We, we fail you so often, but you're always forgiving of us because of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who only thinks they know you, that you would show them that they don't, but that you want to know them and give them the gift of faith that we've been talking about. God, I believe with all my heart that you have to give it to them. Your word tells us that faith is a gift, and so we ask that you would give it to those who need it. And we know that those who seek you, you will never turn away. But do your work in our hearts now, every single one of us, Christian and unchristian alike. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to present some new members uh, after the song. Uh, and so this is a time of response for us. You can stand, sit, you can come to the altar, uh, spend time in prayer, spend time in singing, but whatever the Lord wants you to do, you spend time with Him. Thank you.